G'day sports fans, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Sports by Fry podcast. I'm back, an edition of the SBF pod coming at you. Still without JLo, but fear not, Sports by Fry fans, it's not long until he makes a triumphant return to the airwaves. Going to be doing a lot of basketball talk today. The NBA season's, let's call it two weeks in, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. Dive through a little bit of fact or fiction, the storylines that I think are either true or false through the early portion of the season. Uh, I am going to lead off with a little bit of Cleveland Cavaliers talk because as a Cavs fan myself, it's very exciting times watching Donovan Mitchell and now Darius Garland back in uniform doing their thing. Got another thought exercise for you. I know we're in the real lull of the footy off season, but I've had a little bit of a think about this and put the word out to AFL fans last week about which AFL player you'd like to build a franchise around. So talk a little bit about that. Not going to do a ton of NFL stuff today, but I do have some stuff planned after next week's games and then tease a little bit of the compare the pair article that I've been talking about right at the end. So here we go. Let's not waste any more time and dive into another episode. The mighty fucking Cavs. They're six and one after another big overtime win against Boston. And I am ready to pump the brakes because I'm aware that we've still got about five months or four months of the NBA regular season, but it's an exciting time to be a Cavs fan. I've loved watching Donovan Mitchell go about his business in the early portion of the season. We all know that he's a great scorer. He's a 25 point per game guy on any given night, but I've really been fascinated with the way that he's been a lead playmaker, especially while Darius Garland was out in tonight's game against the Celtics, the one at home that they uh, just won a couple of hours ago. Darius did make his return and have 29 points, 12 assists, pretty huge numbers. And Donovan Mitchell shot the ball willy-nilly, didn't have the same number of high assist numbers. But with Darius out, Donnie Mitchell was just throwing dimes. He's averaging a career-high seven assists at the moment, which is really encouraging, especially, like I said, for a bloke who is traditionally considered a score-first dude. In his time with the Utah Jazz, he only had four games in his entire career where he threw double-digit assists. And about a week or so ago, or maybe less than, against the Knicks, Donny threw out 12 dimes. He's had a couple of games already in a Cavs uniform with eight-plus. He threw nine not so long ago against the Raptors in the home opener. Here is assist numbers to start the season. Nine, eight, four, eight, three, 12. And then he had about five or six tonight. So like I said, it's an encouraging to see Donovan Mitchell really take on the role as the lead guy in Cleveland. And all the pieces seem to be fitting around him. Karis LeVert had a fucking huge game the first time the Cavs beat Celtics. He dropped 41 in Boston when they won in overtime the first time around. Hasn't really been shooting the ball great since then, but he could be a very handy third slash fourth scoring option. You got Kevin Love doing his thing off the bench. Ricky Rubio will come back at some point. So it's very encouraging to see Cleveland. I know there was a bit of optimism around them being a top six team and establishing themselves out of that play mix in the East. But I think they're overachieving in the eyes of a lot of people. And there's still a long ways to go for this team before they can get into championship contention. But shout out to Kobe Altman, the GM of the Cavs, because he acted quickly when the Knicks deal fell apart with Donovan Mitchell, when he landed that bloke. And now that we've got him, the likes of Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, Evan Mobley rather, and Jared Allen, who I haven't even mentioned yet, uh, anchoring down, the front court positions. There's a lot of optimism around the Cavs. I still think they're maybe one wing defender away. Isaac Okoro 
hasn't looked great. He's made some good plays on defense, but he's not shooting the ball well. If they were to get someone like a Jay Crowder from a couple of years ago, I think he's probably a bit out of their window right now. Someone like that. Jetty Osmond's not really going to fit the bill either. And no offense to Dean Wade, but I can't see him chewing up meaningful minutes in the postseason, even though he's also started pretty well. So great signs early on for the Cavs. And I'm excited once again to believe to be a Cleveland fan. All right, let's dive through some fact or fiction. Now, like I said, I've got about 10 of these. I'm not going to go through all of them. They're all in an article that I'm just about to hit publish on. So that'll be out on the Sports by Fry socials by the time you're listening to this. But there's a couple of main storylines that are dominating the headlines through the early portion of the NBA season. And there's a couple that I think are more pressing than others. And I want to start with one revolving around the Brooklyn Nets. I think it's fiction that firing Steve Nash is going to solve all their problems. I know it's going to solve some, but that bloke wasn't even really the coach. I know he was listed as the head coach, but Brooklyn is such a mess. And I don't think changing from Steve Nash to Chuck Vaughn as their interim coach. And apparently Ima Yudoka from the Celtics is going to dramatically change things. Kyrie Irving is already making headlines for all the things he's doing off the court and being a dumb fuck once again. And I don't expect that to change. Don't get me wrong. He's one of the top handful of players with regards to ball handling and scoring that this league has ever seen, but he just can't stay out of his own way. I'll be honest. I don't think he'll play out the season as a Brooklyn neck. And that's probably not a shocking statement after the way he started the season, but I think that franchise has got to take a good, hard, long look at themselves. He opted into his player option this year. There is a potential to trade him down the road. They might even just pay him out, just release him and say, go find a new home because you're just not worth the collateral damage. Ben Simmons as well. He's been a bit clunky to start the season. This Brooklyn team is 30th in defensive efficiency and 30th in rebounding percentage, which are two stats that, you know, you could look at a thousand different stats. They're probably right up there in offense, but I don't think that getting rid of Steve Nash is going to solve a lot of their problems. So I'm watching this Brooklyn situation, kind of like everyone just sitting back, shaking my head, trying to consider how they're going to dig themselves out of it. It's a fact though, that Dennis Smith Jr. is back top 10, call it lottery pick. Cause I have a hunch he was like 12th or something back in the day, but he was part of the Paul Zingas deal. Uh, drafted by the Knicks, traded to Dallas, bounced around a little bit and didn't really look like he was going to have a future in the league. In fact, a story came out saying that he was training to try and put on bulk so that he could make the NFL. But Charlotte gave him a chance. And with Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball out recently, he has been doing his thing. He started the last six games and his scoring hasn't been right at the top of the totem pole, but He's filling up the stat sheet. He's getting a ton of steals. He had six steals the other night. I think it was against the Knicks. Might've been someone else, but regardless, he's revived his career. And it's cool to see that a bloke like him, who is seemingly on his way out of the league, has breathed life into his NBA career and is back amongst it. So I think it's a fact that he is back. It's also a fact that Kawhi Leonard's injury is concerning. We are only in early November. And as long as he's healthy, when we get to April, May, June, that's all that the Clippers are concerned about. But I think that it's a worry that this bloke took, call it over a year, because I think he injured himself in the playoffs back in 2021, but missed all of last season with an ACL injury. He's had, what's the word, degenerative knee issues or rumors of them ever since his time with the Spurs. He got it all together and dominated for Toronto the one year he was there that culminated in a championship, but 
I'm worried. I'm really concerned that we're not going to be able to ever see peak Kawhi dominate for long stretches of time again. Granted, he could just find his mojo and get himself back together and go on a deep playoff run. I think the Clippers have the talent. Paul George has been dominating in his absence. Marcus Morris looks good. Uh, they've got plenty of depth as JLo and I and others have talked about on this podcast numerous times, but I think it's a worry that Kawhi is still dealing with injury woes. I know that he's frustrated that he's not out there on the court. The Clippers have just ruled him out for a little bit longer stint of time. So watch this space. And like I said, as long as he's healthy at the pointy end of the season, that's all that matters. But I am concerned about Kawhi Leonard. Last fiction thing I want to talk about is Philadelphia being in trouble. I know they're sitting at four and four, four and five now after a loss to the Wizards, but they're going to be fine. I think they haven't had Joel Embiid in the most recent game against Washington, but Tyrese Maxey looks like a star. He's averaging nearly 30 points in his last five, six, five games, close enough to 30 points anyway. James Harden is obviously a, a force on offense as well. They too go pretty deep in their lineup. They made some solid moves that got them in trouble and saw them lose two second round picks for the next uh, couple of years. But regardless, I think that the roster they've got is going to be capable of winning 50 plus games, but we always know that whatever Philadelphia achieves will be defined by their postseason success. I couldn't care less about how many games they win in the regular season. If they finish with a fifth seed or a second seed or whatever, it really will come down to those seven game series. And if they can be right amongst it at the pointy end of the season. Like I said at the leader, footy fans haven't exactly got a ton to talk about at the moment. If you follow any of your teams on social media, you'll see they're doing a big recap on a lot of the highlights from the season just gone. But I'm going to start to project ahead to next season and look at the draft, a bit of fantasy stuff, things like that with some of my future articles and podcasts. But I've, I had a fun thought exercise last week because there's a lot of buzz around Tasmania potentially having a team one day. And even if they don't, one day we may see the AFL expand. So let's paint a hypothetical, right? You're starting a 19th AFL franchise. Doesn't matter about the location. It may for some, because they have the go home factor uh, playing into their hands when they're picking this player. But who's the player in the AFL that you would want to build a franchise around? Now, if you think about it, there's a lot of star midfielders out there. Someone like Bailey Smith, shout out Georgia Ward, could be, on the radar for a lot of people. I know that he's someone that we've seen single-handedly win finals games off his own boot. He tore Brisbane a new one just over 12 months ago. And on the flip side of the coin in the grand final, we saw demons blokes like Christian Petrarca and Clayton Oliver dominate. Andy Brayshaw had himself a fantastic 2022 season, but I feel like you can find those midfielders around the joint. Granted, they're all the ones that win the Brownlows and get all the fanfare. But I think if you're building a player or picking a player rather to build a franchise around, you want a key position guy. You want someone like a Max King. Tommy Barras was a little bit old as I was looking through some of the other players in the league, but I thought he could be one future captain. Timmy English as well, very uh, revolutionary Ruckman, kind of Dean Cox 2.0. Sammy Taylor, an All-Australian defender now for the Giants and one of the best intercept players in the entire game. I feel like if you're starting a team from scratch, you want that type of player. If you're not going to go for someone like that, maybe you want to flip the script a little bit and go for someone like a Shea Bolton, who's in some people's eyes, a bit of a Dustin Martin light can rip open a game off his own boot in a quarter. You know, he's capable of setting up his teammates as well, providing highlight plays, someone like that puts bums on seats. That's what thing to consider. If you're starting a franchise, you want to have your fans have someone to cheer for someone to be excited about watching, but 
I think if you're going to pick someone in this hypothetical scenario, you want to pick a key position bloke. I could be wrong. And please let me know on socials if uh, you disagree with the call. But I think from where I stand, if you're picking a player to build around, they've got to be big in stature, maybe even versatile that you can throw at each end defensive or forward 50. But I think that's a smart route to go down. Okay, last little uh tidbit for you before I close out the pod. The last article that I produced was a compare the pair looking at Kevin Garnett, one of the fiercest competitors in your face, nasty, brash, dominant on defense. And Hakeem Olajuwon, who's quite humble, quiet, soft-spoken, doesn't really have a lot of fanfare surrounding him, but make no mistake, he's a top, call it 12 player of all time. So I kind of answered my own question, right? Hakeem Olajuwon is the one that won the compare the pair, but it was a lot closer than people thought. I think that KG had some defining moments throughout his career that helped him stand out. He was actually third in MVP voting the first year he was in Boston to Chris Paul and the winner, Kobe Bryant. So some people tend to forget that he was the driving force behind them winning a title. It was Paul Pierce's team because he was there for longer. And a lot of people say that a lot of players say that and a lot of people on that championship team even say that, but Without Kevin Durant being as good as he was defensively, I don't think Boston wins that 08 championship. And he did it for a couple of years with the Celtics as well. And obviously wasted, let's call it the first nine years of his career battling away in Minnesota. So check out that piece. I'll throw the link to it in the show notes, but it was very interesting to unpack the careers of two of the biggest and most dominant big men the basketball world has ever seen. And that's all she wrote. Like I said, another quick sports bee pod. Got another one in the works, probably Sunday, maybe Monday. And then after that, you will be listening to another bumper episode with JLo and I. Two weeks of basketball to talk about. Plenty of fantasy stuff on the cards as well from a NBA and NFL perspective. And we may even look into uh, some AFL stuff. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But thanks for tuning into this episode. Always appreciate it. Catch you next time.